0: Good morning, church. Hey, how many of us are excited about what Jesus Christ is doing in your life? Are we excited about that? The Holy Spirit is working in this place and in your lives and in this community, and I, for one, am excited to see the positive that God brings to our world. Amen? I mean, it is great to see. How we are part of God's story, and we get called into, based upon our gift sets, how God wants to use us in His story. Such an exciting time uh, to be alive and to be in the world, and to see God's story unfolding in front of us that we get to be a part of. Thanks for being here this morning uh, and sharing in this community that we call Crosspoint. We want to pour into one another's lives, and we want to do that uh, with our own families, but also collectively as a body, as we lean into the story that God has prepared for us, knowing that God is enough, that Jesus Christ has done enough, and uh, this life is so exciting. To see how God is using each and every one of you. Thanks for sharing your stories with me as you do every week, uh, through email, through phone calls, texting, etc. Uh, it's exciting to see how God is using you. In the world around us. If you're a guest here today, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's our honor that you're here, and of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our CrossPoint family to join us in celebrating the hope that is Jesus Christ, His place in the world, and what He is doing in the lives around us. We ask that you would join us in telling that story in various and sundry ways. How God's blessed you to join God in that story He's telling in the world. Uh, this. Uh, this is our third week in our Howdy Neighbor series. Say that back to me if you would. Howdy Neighbor. Thanks so much. I had someone greet me this morning just like that. Howdy Neighbor. I said, hey, thanks. I'm glad you're on top of it. That's good. Uh, but we've been discovering through text and scripture how God wants us to love on our neighbor. And I've asked you to kind of look into your own lives, whether it's you personally, your family, in your neighborhood, workplace, wherever that is, as you discover people doing great and positive things that seem neighborly, that you'd take a a picture of that or somehow put that on your social media with the hashtag Howdy Neighbor, uh, and we'll try to get that on our Facebook page as well, uh, because we need positive, don't we? we? We've got enough negative in the world. We need to remind the world that God is reigning, He is supreme. And Jesus Christ has this all in the palm of his hand, doesn't he? Uh, And so we lean into that story in mighty and great ways, looking, uh, catching people, doing fun, exciting, positive things. Uh, The first week we kind of used as our springboard Luke chapter 10, uh, where an expert in the law comes up to Jesus and he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers that question with a story uh, about two different groups of people that really hate each other, but within the story, we see how love is expressed despite the ethnicity, despite the skin color, despite the background or the way that they worship, Uh, and we talked about racism that first week. Uh, Last week, we talked about loving on kids, Uh, what adoption is about, what fostering is about, how to love on kids who are fatherless. Who are motherless. You don't have a home and we went all the way from actually being a part of that adoption process. Some families here have done that. Some have done fostering but also reminding us that as a church we're called to adopt and foster the kids that come in our door here. We're called to love on them and pour into their life as a church family. Uh, we're, we're a part of their life as well on their journey. Uh, today we're going to talk about the poor. What does it mean to love the poor. My guess is after we're done today, maybe like me, you will have a different image of what helping the poor, those in the poverty area of our of our world, what would that look like if I were to play that out? If I'm to love my neighbor in every regard, then how does that look for me? Most of us think about not having money, that maybe we're a little too broke. And so with that idea, I kind of googled uh, a hashtag I'm so broke. And I came up with some uh, interesting uh, feedback to that particular idea. I'm going to share some of those with you now, and forgive me. (laughs) Uh, One said, "Uh, I'm so broke that my baloney doesn't have a first name. (laughs) And those of you that know that commercial, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm I'm, uh, so broke that I can't get a sugar daddy. I have to settle for a splendid daddy. Uh, I'm so broke that uh, I rub the uh, cologne from a magazine on my shirt, and when somebody asks me, hey, that smells really good, what is that? He says, page five of the magazine. And the last one, I'm so broke that I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. (laughs) Yeah, see, I knew. I knew you'd have to forgive me for one of those. But really, many of you are in a deep place of brokenness, of poverty, of wondering, how am I going to make it through today? How am I going to get through this week? Why do I know that? Because you've talked to me, you've asked for prayers, you're looking for a job, and you're wondering week to week, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I making the house payment? What do I need to do to help my family get all the needs that they have in life? And you have those questions, they're very serious questions, you're wondering, is God listening to me? Does he hear my prayer? Is he out there and is he batting for me? Maybe like me, you've also been to other countries who are incredibly poverty stricken. Folks who are living hour to hour, day to day in ways that you and I couldn't really imagine. I've taken kids and families on short-term mission trips all over the world and I've seen what the poor in the world have to deal with. I've been to Croatia right after their civil war, and I've seen the bullet holes in houses. I've seen homes that have been blown up and exploded by ordinance, and you wonder where those displaced families are. There's no money to fix anything. I don't even have a home anymore. I've been to Mexico and worked with churches in the Yucatan Peninsula, where A father will go to work early in the morning and work on a road crew all day long to make five dollars. And with that money, he buys the only meal his family will eat on the way home. They eat, they go to sleep, and he gets up the next day and does it all over again. I've been to Orange County out in L.A., worked with the homeless. And you realize there's security issues. Where's my next meal coming from? I don't own really anything How do I make it day to day? What about the medications I need for the illnesses that are part of my life? I've been to Memphis, Tennessee. Painted houses in Orange Mound where folks live in the houses that have been owned by families for decades and that's the only reason why they can stay there. There's no money owed on the houses. There's no mortgage payment. And we paint those houses and try to give them a little facelift. I remember one particular year I painted one house that did not have a back wall. It simply had a blue tarp. And I walk away from those moments and I think, man, and I thought I had it bad. (laughs) I I thought I was struggling financially. I I thought I was in a poverty area in certain places of my life, maybe not necessarily with money or possessions. But you go out into the world and you see what the world truly has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And you wonder, where is the church in all of this? Jesus addresses how the church should interact in this way with the poor of our world. He does it in Matthew 25. Uh, there are going to be several texts we'll take a look at this morning. They'll all be on the screen and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. But in Matthew 25, he starts out at the front end of that chapter talking about being prepared, be ready. He talks about don't, don't sleep on the job, don't Don't party all night until you realize, oh, the king is coming back, the the real thing is here, and I'm not ready for that moment to happen, but be prepared. In the middle of that chapter, he talks about using your gift sets for God's glory. Use what God has given you to help others around you. Don't bury it in the sand, no, use what God's given you for others. And then our springboard text this morning is at the end of that chapter where Jesus goes into discussing how we are to react and interact with the creation that he's created here on our earth. Verse 35, beginning. Jesus says, I I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus reminds us as the church, as people who are Jesus' followers, that we are called to serve those around us. We're called to interact with his creation, not huddle up in the comfort of our own home. But understand that when we interact with others, that we're interacting with Jesus as well. That idea of who God is, his character and nature, goes all the way back into the old testament you see it time and time again in a story that's told and the writer of proverbs says in 19 and verse 17 if you help the poor you are lending to the lord and he will repay you it's an incredible idea a shift if you will a paradigm shift to think about the people that you come in contact with are image bearers of god they're created in the image of god and therefore, when we interact with them, no matter their tax bracket, that we are interacting with Jesus himself. John, who was an apostle, he wrote the Gospel of John. He reminds the church uh, 2,000 years ago what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And so in doing so, he reminds us today what we are called to look like as well. And he says in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 16, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And John reminds us that being a follower of Christ is more than just words, it's more than a one-time event, that it's an ongoing life process that we interact with each and every day by our actions and our words. You see, God calls the church into the world as the body of Christ. We are Jesus' hands and feet, and Jesus is the only hope this world, and you and I have, Jesus is the meaning of hope. Many of us want to do that. We want to help others, but we're not sure exactly how that looks. What would I need to do in order to accomplish that, to be the person God's truly called me to be? And so I think we need to start out with a definition of what is poverty. If you're like me, your paradigm is going to shift on this definition based upon some resources that I used Uh, to come up with this uh, dialogue this morning. One is this book. If you're interested in missions and helping the poor, short-term mission strategies, this is a great book to check out. It's got a good definition of what poverty truly is, when helping hurts. And most Americans see defined poverty as the lack of some material thing, the lack of maybe money in the bank account. Uh, Maybe uh, even a house to live in or the number of cars that you have parked in the drive. We might say, I don't have enough money to make the mortgage payment." Maybe you have this size house and you really should have this size house. That's kind of the American way of doing things. Or I really have all these bills. My kids are in school. I've got two car payments. I don't have enough money to give to the church to help out with missions, to help out with ministry. maybe if you're a teen, you can say, listen, I can't afford the newest iPhone. And frankly, I've heard adults say that too. You and I have these first world problems that we think are related to the lack of something. And so we take that idea, that mindset, and push it onto the world around us. But in this book, they, they go and... Survey some 60,000 truly impoverished people around the world in low income countries. And the poor defined being poor differently than you and I. The truly poor defined poverty as a mindset, not having to do with the lack of something material. They used words as they described being poor and living in poverty, words like deep shame, ongoing feeling of worthlessness. They used words like fear, humiliation, hopelessness, trapped. The idea, and I've heard this even now as we have gone to inner city Dallas and worked with some of the homeless in that area, I've heard this very type of language. I feel so trapped. I, I can't get out of where I'm at. I've got no support network around me. I've got no transportation to get uh, to where I can get medical aid or get a job. I don't have an education. And the list goes on and on. No real support. And we think of helping the poor, it's, it's much more than giving them Something. See, for us, we as well as they have to change our mindset about what it means to help those who are poverty stricken. I'll give you a couple of examples that relate directly to me in my short term mission work that I've done. Maybe you can relate on some trips that you have been on as well. Going to a third world country to help them learn who Jesus is, we're going to partner with the church there. And I've got two suitcases. In one suitcase, I've got my toothbrush, my Pepto-Bismol, my pajamas, etc. And in this other suitcase, I've got a whole bunch of shirts that I don't wear anymore. And I've asked my friends to help me out with that. And that suitcase is absolutely full of clothing. We're going to give that to the church. We're going to help them out. Done with the most sincere heart possible. We just want to help and so we go to that village and we go to the church, we open those suitcases and the church members in the village uh, folks come out and they get that clothing and they're so elated to have something new, the smiles on their faces, but what we didn't know was in town are three ladies who make their living making shirts and clothing for the village. And so we just took all the food off of their table. Now We didn't know that, that wasn't intentional. Maybe what we need to do when we do short-term missions is ask someone on the ground over there, how can we partner with you? Tell us what we can do to come alongside you in the story of God and assist you because you know best, not me, but we hold up in our American churches, don't we? And we make plans on how to help those who are impoverished with the best of intentions and the best hearts or maybe locally, you're, you're working with some at-risk families here in the local area. They, neither parent has a job, live in a low-income housing development, they've got young kids. You come together and you say, I want to help out. And it's near Christmas, and so what you do is you go out and you buy those Christmas gifts for those kids. And you show up on Christmas Eve and you knock on the door and you give them those gifts, and the kids rip those packages open and they're elated, they can't believe I got this new whatever this is, thank you so much. What have we just done, though? We've subliminally told the parents, you really don't know how to parent, let us show you how to do that. We've kind of humiliated them in front of their family. Maybe what we should do is take those gifts and give them to the parents so they can in turn give them to the kids. There's lots of ways, and all that is done with the best of intentions, the best hearts, but there are other ways that we can minister to the poor around us and around the world. And what we have to understand up front is that poverty is really more about brokenness than anything else. The root of all poverty is brokenness. And every single one of us are broken, are we not? Every single one of us need what Jesus did on the cross for us every single one of us. No one is above anyone else, and there's much more than just material poverty that exists in the world. There's relational poverty. There's psychological poverty. There is love poverty, and the list goes on and on. So many that we come in touch with around the world have all the goods they could possibly ever want, but they're negative in every place else. And it starts with a broken relationship with God. Each and every one of us have had or do have a broken relationship with God. And it's a relationship that only Jesus Christ can mend. Jesus Christ is the answer, the antidote for the poverty relationship that we experience with God Almighty. That started way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve made a decision to do things their own way, the way they wanted to do it. And so they disobeyed God, they were banned from the Garden, and from that point forward, God has been pursuing his human creation through all of history, and he continues uh, continues to pursue us today. You could have a broken relationship with yourself, Maybe in your life, you're remembering decisions that you made early on in life, decisions you wish you could have back that, man, I wish I had not gone down that road. And so you're down on yourself to the point of depression. I wish I had made a different decision. You can't change the past, but Jesus Christ can change your future. Things can be different from for you. Everyone else has forgiven you but you. Maybe it's time that you remembered that you too were made in the image of God. Or maybe, maybe you've got a broken relationship with other people, with others that you come in contact with each and every day. Maybe in your life you're, you're too ashamed to really ask for help because of the pride that might exist. Or maybe you're too self-focused, self-absorbed to realize others around you need some help. And so there's a disconnect with others that you come in touch with each and every day. At the end of our story, though, what we've got to realize is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that can change your life. He will absolutely turn things around. He reminds us of that in Luke chapter 4. A prophet is not honored in his hometown, but yet Jesus goes back to Nazareth He finds himself reading the scroll in his old synagogue, and people are asking questions, isn't this guy the son of Joseph? What does he say, though? He reads from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am the hope that this world has to get out of poverty, whatever poverty you find yourself in. Jesus The Christ, He sets us free. He heals us. He binds up the broken wounds. That brokenness that we all experience, He puts that all back together, doesn't He? As Jesus' followers, we're called to imitate Him, to be like Him. And so when we look in the mirror, you have to ask the question who is looking back at me? We can go all through the Gospels and discover the nature and the character of who Jesus was. He interacted in people's lives. didn't matter how busy it seemed that he was, he stopped and interacted. And so we, too, are called to stop and interact in three different ways. You and I have to remember that we are called to serve. We're not called to save. We're called to interact in the lives of people. We are the conduits of Jesus' power. We are his hands and his feet in the culture in which we live. The church is present to provide relief and restoration for those around us. Relief is the immediate temporary help during and immediately after a crisis. And so you may remember uh, in years past going up to help with the tornado cleanup in Rowlett. Maybe a group went down to help with the cleanup after Katrina hit Louisiana. There's been an earthquake in Haiti that many groups flew over to help those families in that moment of crisis. It just got the phone call. The tests are back. It's stage four cancer. There's been a car wreck and a family member has passed away in those moments of crisis the church provides relief that's needed we show up because we're the body of christ that's what we do but there's also restoration and that is the long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness there is a a hurricane the news crews show up for five or six days but then they leave and guess who remains it's the church Because there are hundreds of lives that are still trying to put the pieces back together after the story is over. The church stays when the news leaves. That's really the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, where we started two weeks ago. He, in relief mode, takes... The beat-up man to the innkeeper gives him money and says, take care of him for a moment. I'll be back in a few days. If this money doesn't cover the cost, I'll repay it then. You see, he's a part of the relief and the restoration to get this man back on his feet. That's why we do Blue Bucket Sunday here a couple of times a year. And church, you're to be commended. You're so incredibly generous with the possessions that God has given you. In February, we raised over $8,600 for families in our neighborhood right here. You did that. That's the body. That's that's the church. And that money goes directly to help families who need relief, who need restoration. And we're called to be proactive in that process as well. Don't wait on something to happen and be called upon, but be setting time aside, setting your gift sets aside, so to speak, training those. So when the moment happens, God will present you with a moment in time where you can help and you will be prepared. That's what the front end of Matthew 25 talks about. We're called to serve. But we're also called to relate with people, not rescue people. We're called to empathize with them, to walk in their shoes for a while. I have to remember, and I'm calling all of us to remember, that people are not projects. People are image bearers of God. And we're called to pull alongside them in their moment of crisis and help. People are not ways to make me feel better about my Christianity and my walk. Too many times I feel great when I go on that mission trip, when I reach out and do something like a cleanup in a neighborhood. While all those are appropriate, that's not the end result. That's not why I'm involved. It's because what Jesus Christ did for me is why I'm involved. It's why I want to help other people and so we ask them how we can partner with them in their part of the world or right here in our backyard we're called to relate with people and finally we're called to reach out not reach down when we reach out that that says we care when we reach down that says i'm a little bit better than you Brene Brown said, we divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. And the truth is, we need both. There's no dichotomy here. We're all in this thing together. We all need help. And so we partner with other people here at Crosspoint that already know what they're doing. And so we join with them as they help those that are in crisis and in need in our community and around the world. We partner with uh, groups like Pioneer Bible Translators because we want the word of God in languages where it doesn't exist yet. We partner with places like the Ronald McDonald House, because we've got families in crisis who have a a kiddo in the hospital that's in dire need. We partner with Meals on Wheels in our own neighborhood, so that we can take nourishment, to shut-ins, to that senior community who cannot get out of the house. We partner with Grand Prairie School System because there are families who can't afford to get their kids into school, and we partner with those families to help their kids get to where they need to be. We partner with Lifeline Shelter right here in Grand Prairie, which helps families get off the street and find a place to live. We partner with Eastern European Missions, helping get Bibles into The school system in Eastern Europe, the coffee that we sell right out here at our coffee area, we partner with that coffee company because they help plant churches in Honduras. The coffee you drink on Sunday morning is that Honduran coffee. It's so beautiful to see how we as the church, the body of Christ, come into contact with others around us and realize that God is using us in his story to make a difference To to shine positive on those around us. Because at the end of the day, church, we all have had that poverty relationship with God. And it's because of Jesus Christ that we now can sing hallelujah. It's because of Jesus Christ that we too have all the riches we could ever want in the world. We too have the feeling of hope, not hopelessness. We get excited about the story that we are a part of. Because God has smiled on us in ways that cannot be measured. Church, we are called to reflect Jesus Christ. And so that's the call this morning that you and I, in our community, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, and around the world, we would partner with those and on our own decide to look lovingly on those who may not be in our tax bracket, those who are in crisis and who are in need, that we would take time out of our day, just like Jesus Christ did in all of his ministry stories, to bless those that he comes in contact with. And we too are called to be that person. I'm going to ask Brad and the praise team to come to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around the wall of this room. And my guess is that there's some in here that somewhere in your life, there's something that is hindering you from fully being a part of the story of God, something that is weighing on your heart, that it's a burden for you, a decision you made maybe even decades ago that's stopping you from fully being a part of God's story. I want to encourage you to go pray with one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and with you. And as we leave this place this morning, remember that we are a group that is sent. We generally say at the very end of service, you're dismissed. That's wrong. You're never dismissed from looking like Jesus Christ. And as we enter into our community, you are sent to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.